Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Bob Radio Show. This is the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And we're broadcasting the show this week from Boca Raton in Florida. I'm sitting here looking across at the beautiful Atlantic. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous here. I'm at the um, Boca Raton Beach Club, which is a Waldorf Astoria hotel, and it's absolutely spectacular. I'm here for the launch of CQS International. Uh, they've got a company launching in Brazil called Kisaguru Brazil. It's an insurance company. And uh, guests from around the world have flown in for a fantastic evening and a, uh, a show by my good friend, Freddie Ravel. Now, Freddie's been on this show before. He's, um, he wrote the jingle for Kisaguru. He's also appeared with Sergio Mendez, then Santana, then Earth, Wind and Fire. He worked with Madonna on Evita. And he's a superstar. He's just simply fantastic. Last night I spent the night at South Beach, and I just love South Beach. It is phenomenal. I also found the best clothing shop of all time on South Beach. I've never been to such a fantastic place. I can't remember the name of it, but I know where it is. I can find it, and uh, it's sensational. I came out to um, Boca Raton, as I usually do with Uber, and if you are not using Uber, you are stark raving crazy. It is the most brilliant system. Um, A cab from um, Miami to Boca Raton is about $150, Uber's about 80, the cars are clean, the guys are great, you know who they are, you've got their phone numbers, it is a fantastic service. So um, one of the things I like about um, this CQS Kusaguru is that they, um, they're they a truly disruptive entry into the insurance business, which is dominated, as you know, by highly inefficient legacy companies and uh, They're developing a data capture engine with algorithms that enable a wealth of information to be analysed and provided to the company in real time to facilitate a highly efficient sales operation and also great customer service. And it costs peanuts to administer compared with the old legacy system. So they're developing um, an omni-channel marketing system which prompted me tonight to we get a lot of people asking us about um, how to build a social media campaign. And so I thought tonight I would um, talk about it. And social media marketing day, it's a serious job. I mean, no longer can we leave um, managing our social media pages to a new college grad or give it to somebody that's on staff. Um, social media, which now signals SEO, can be a sales channel, it can manage your customer service, it can build your brand and your brand equity, or conversely, it can totally kill your brand reputation altogether. 
It's got to be an integral part of any corporate marketing program. So how do you manage and budget your social media strategy when it seems to, you know, it seems to change daily? The, um, I know Google changes its algorithms all the time. So you've really got to be on top of it. So the first step that you need is to make, you know, you've got to work out what your resources are and to start to assign necessary roles. Now, for social media to, to assist in online brand strength and enhance your, your customer service and ultimately aid in qualified customer acquisition, you've got to put a really effective plan and a professional team in place and you've got to execute daily. And a social media marketing strategy, it should be your first investment, whether that's delivered by a social media consultant, a, um, a social media agency, or whether you've got an internal person. The strategy is the roadmap that no company can afford to do without. A proper social media marketing strategy will certainly take time and it's going to cost you dollars, especially if you require creation of the essential compelling content. You know, if you haven't got compelling content, forget about it. Forget about it. So you've got to have compelling content. And to do it right, you've got to expect to invest at least five to $10,000 in strategy and then put in a solid month or more of time. So the social media channel setup, that's going to be your first hard cost. Now, that includes the creation of um, custom skins for pages like Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and, you know, for LinkedIn, you need a company header. You'll also need Pinterest boards. You'll need welcome pages like the Facebook landing page, for example. You're going to have to optimise your profiles for social impact. So for, say, just trying to think of an example, say LinkedIn, you need your company profile page designed and optimised with your brand in mind. So if you're like most companies that aggressively use technology to drive marketing, you might even consider investing in a social app customised to support popular service functions. It's worth a thought. Your investment here includes graphic design, technology development, um, planning, training. I can't think of other things, but I'm sure there are. And you can look at spending anywhere from two to $5,000 to do that. So you're already up to somewhere between seven and 12. <clears throat> and once you've got a content plan, you then need to commit to creating ongoing compelling content. Now content takes professionalism in design, in writing skills, in video production, in photography, in webcast production, audio development, a whole bunch of stuff. And you'll also require someone skilled in social media management most likely a social media media manager, and they'll manage all the content and ensure that it's engaging, interesting, supports your online brand position, and that it's optimised for your targeted search keywords that act as a signal to um, SEO. So content creation needs to be considered a full-time job. Again, this can be done by skilled staff or outsourced to a professional content development team or agency. Content development, including ongoing video production of product demos and 
service testimonials and campaigns, that can be costly. But if done effectively, can deliver a really high return on investment. So your effective social media marketing content, well, you've got to include things like two or three new blog new blog. I'm having too good a time looking at the ocean. I'm not concentrating. A minimum of two to three new blog posts per week. For those of you who might be smirking, it's a hard thing to say. Um, You'll need infographics, um, professional online videos, very critical. Um, Podcasts, articles written specially for influential blogs and online publications. You'll need professional photography and uh, recorded webinars and webcasts. So all of those things are needed to have social media marketing become effective for you. A good budget for content development, now that can range from $3,000, $5,000, $8,000 a month. So this is on top of all the costs that we've talked about before. You'll need daily management of all the social channels. And, you know, it's not just about Facebook. It's about a whole range of social channels. Facebook, Pinterest, Tumblr, all of them. You need to, there's probably about 15 to 20 channels that you need to be active in. And social media management, you've got to, it takes a lot of listening and research and staying in top of trends and influences. And you've got to continue to be creative. It is not an easy task. And social media management, even for small to medium companies, you might say, look, we're only a really small company. Well, that's when you need it most. And you need a full-time salaried person. You know, a lot of organisations use a junior person and they fail. So a wise investment now is to hire a professional or a team to manage your content delivery. So and you can expect to budget at least another three to five thousand a month to do it right. So you're already up to you're up to um, twenty odd grand to start, and now you're up to maybe fifteen grand a month. So as an ongoing marketing practice whether consumer or client, you've got to campaign and you've got to have outreach to specific targets. You've got to identify who those targets are and go for them. And it's um, you've got to keep your brand in the face of those who are going to influence or who are going to directly purchase from you. There are loads of opportunities on the web, as I'm sure you've seen every time you go on there, to display ads and PR campaigns within the social networks, and they're coming up with more every day. But, of course, you need design and analytics and reporting and the best practices at a minimum for any serious social media marketer include one very strong, highly targeted campaign every quarter. So you've got to put aside, say, another $1,500. So as I said before, it's not cheap takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of work to be put in. With all that needs to be done in social media marketing in a multi-channel setup, 
content creation and delivery, topic planning and campaign outreach and management, you really need to have a solid social tool. That can help you a lot. And although the social networks themselves, they provide some level of reporting like LinkedIn profile analytics and Facebook insights, there are specific tools such as Social Oomph, Hootsuite, Radiant 6. Now, that's now, I think, a, uh, a Salesforce product. They can take your social media management to the next level, and you all should do that. If you're going to invest this sort of money, you really need to, um, to have a good social media manager. So whether you hire professional managers, writers, production personnel, or um, designers, SEO people, or whether you just outsource it to one organisation, again, you need to have a budget for this. So get your social media marketing program working for you. Assess your resources, your budget, your marketing goals. Set the right budget for your organisation and start driving customer engagements in social media. It's not cheap. It is certainly not cheap. But you really need to do it if you want to get the results. So if you're going into, you know, it's a fantastic way to drive your business. I did a budget for a startup. Uh, company, primarily um, social media, and the cost over the year, including um, some animation for for characters, was um, over two million bucks. So you're not going to get out of it lightly, but you can probably get out of it for $140,000, I reckon, a year, but you will have a great campaign. Do you hear about Coca-Cola? They're using drones to do something really terrific in Singapore. You know, Singapore is one of the wealthiest countries per capita. I love Singapore. I think it's fabulous. But as its population ages, its economic growth, it's increasingly reliant on more than one million low-wage foreign labourers. So foreign labourers come in from everywhere to, um, to provide the backbone of the nation's economy. The workers come from countries with very low standards of living, you know, like China, India, Bangladesh and whatever, and they work very long hours in manufacturing and construction jobs that can pay as little as two bucks an hour. So pretty lousy money. And to make matters worse, these migrant workers are often subject to abuse by their employers because Singapore doesn't extend very many legal rights to these people. So... In an effort to make things a little easier for these homesick workers, Coca-Cola decided to partner with the Singapore Kindness Movement. I've heard of them before. They're a non-profit backed by the country's Prime Minister to arrange for a pick-me-up for these foreign workers. And to do this, Coca-Cola had Singaporeans take photos with signs thanking the workers for building their city. Then they wrapped the photos around cans of Coca-Cola, packed them in a box and used drones to fly them out to more than 2,500 workers toiling at a construction site. How cool is that? Another use for drones. I think uh, investing in a drone company is a great investment, I reckon. (coughs) Excuse me. So last week I mentioned 14-year-old entrepreneur Maya Penn 
She's got quite the resume, entrepreneur, CEO, philanthropist, eco-friendly fashion designer, coder, illustrator, writer, an animator, and she's all of the tender age of 14. So when most kids her age were learning how to count to 10 and colour within the lines, she was pulling computers apart and rebuilding them. <laughs> Jeez. I could do that, but I'd always end up with a whole bunch of bits left over. She gained national attention after a Forbes profile on her when she was 10. Then in December 2013, she made her TED debut and wowed him at 10. Takes a lot of guts, doesn't it, for a 10-year-old? So IBM's tapped the girl wonder to speak um, at its um, new, new Way to Work Masterclass. And uh, she was given the honour of closing out the event. In a presentation, she discussed the different ways the millennials like her are changing the workplace. You know, it's hard to imagine, but, but by 2025, millennials are going to make up 75% of the workforce. Woo, 75%. So Maya says, we need to create an environment where millennials will thrive. For the millennial entrepreneur, that means a more flexible, a more fun, and a more engaging workplace. You know, there are many stereotypes about millennial business leaders, one being that they're impatient. So Maya said, you know, you can look at this in two ways. We're either really impatient or you can see that we're really ambitious, eager to grow and move forward. So according to Maya, that combination of ambition and impatience is what inspires millennials to innovate. Young entrepreneurs like Myself are shown to be more open-minded, more creative and more willing to take risks that will propel us forward and help our companies and startups blossom. Way to go, Maya. I'm totally on your team. Keep up the good work. I know we're going to hear a hell of a lot more about you in the future. It's incredible, isn't it? So at four years old, she was um, taking apart computers and putting them back again. She's no ordinary child, Maya. Well done, Maya Penn. Now, you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. We're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you've got a question on any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or we'll email you directly. Make sure that... You know, I've got a monthly newsletter that's been going out now for um, about 14, 15 years, maybe longer. goes out every month to 16,000 business executives in about 63 countries, I think. And as it's the beginning of December, I'll be getting one out within the next week or so. You shouldn't miss it. It's full of very interesting information and tips on how to be more successful in business. So go to my website, which is bobpritchard, P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D dot com, and sign up. When you go to my website, you can actually listen to the last over three years of shows. We're in our fourth year, so over three years of shows you can listen to and uh, listen to something like 200 guests. You're listening to the Voice America Business Network. And I'll be back in a moment with today's guest, Doug Lip. 
was the head of the training team at the world-famous Disney University. He's written eight books on leadership, customer service and international business, and his latest book is Disney U, how Disney University develops the world's most engaged, loyal and customer-centric employees. This is Bob Pritchard at the fabulous Boca Raton Beach Club in Florida. Wonderful place, absolutely. And I'll be back with Doug in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we interview people who've achieved great success and who are making a real difference in the world. This program's all about entrepreneurs and are helping you to become a success. I'm laughing because my next guest is, is a great guy and uh, we were just chatting um, off air a second ago and it was very funny. Um, now, very extensive research by a range of companies and organisations, including a lot of work done by PricewaterhouseCoopers, demonstrates conclusively that the major contributor to business growth and return on investment is customer service. Now, we all hear this mantra over and over again, but we don't do anything about it. And this research also demonstrates that customer service leaders can charge up to 13% more for a product than their competitors. Now, when you think of customer service, it's very difficult not to think of Disney. You know, they're so friendly and effusive and the attention to detail is, is unbelievable. And anyone who has a business and employs a couple of people, you know, you realise how difficult it is to get even one person <laughs> to come into work enthusiastic and, and smiling, far less thousands of them and uh, I often speak at conferences at Disney parks and if you get up in the morning at about six o'clock and go for a walk there are hundreds of little worker bees painting and repairing fences and painting trash cans and making sure that the place looks exactly like it did on day one 
Now that is attention to detail and it is a great contributor to this, to the happiest place on earth. So that brings me to today's guest, Doug Lip, at age 29. We're heads of the training team at the world famous Disney University. Doug's fluent in Japanese and was appointed to the startup team for Tokyo Disneyland. He trains and speaks to corporate executives about the need to embrace change, provide great service, and continually innovate. He's written eight books on leadership, customer service, and international business. And Doug's latest book is Disney U, How Disney University Develops the World's Most Engaged, Loyal, and Customer-Centric Employees. That has got to be the world's longest title for a book. (laughs) And I've mentioned many times before I belong to a tremendous organisation for thought leaders called METAL. It stands for Media Entertainment Technology Alpha Leaders. And Doug spoke to us uh, just a couple of weeks ago about his experience with Disney and and his um, philosophies on business. And uh, he killed them. We had a room full of people that have seen it all done it all, are amazingly successful, and Doug just brained them. It was fantastic. Hi, Doug. How are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Bob, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat today. This should be fun. Yeah. How how did your involvement with Disney University come about? Because you're only 29 years old. That's pretty young to be um, training people in such a, what seems like a pretty important role. Well, I was fortunate enough to be on a pretty fast track. I started in uh, in a college internship program, went to grad school in Japan, came back to Disney, and it timed out perfectly with the, the years before Tokyo Disneyland was opened up. So I actually speak Japanese fluently and was able to start training some of the Japanese executives who came from Japan for extensive uh, training in the U.S., and Quite frankly, when I was able to uh, address these senior executives and then talk to them in Japanese in front of senior American executives, you kind of stick out in a, in a good way. Yeah. And then I was offered a um, an internship position in the company, which was a very uh, aggressive, intense, kind of like a shark tank environment. Yeah. And 20 of us young kids, mid-20s at the time, were picked from every operating department and division, and we were set through about six months of intensive programs. And we all had to propose different strategies to move the company forward. And luckily, I was able to join what's known as the Disney University because of my interest in employee development and organizational development. I love the way you, twice in that opening gambit, you said fortunate and lucky. Now, I don't believe in fortunate or lucky. I think that, uh, you know, people get where they get because of bloody hard work and putting yourself in the right place at the right time. Because I'm always saying to people who listen to this show who are entrepreneurs, if you're going to sit back and rely on luck, (laughs) you're going to be shit out of it because it ain't going to happen. Um, You've got to work hard. So, um, and I've I've seen you speak, so I know how clever you are. So there's nothing, nothing about luck or fortunate in this whole deal. All right. What's the major lesson that Disney can teach corporations worldwide and, you know, what are the primary universal lessons of Disney? 
Well, the, the lessons that I write about in my book with the world's longest title, thank you very much, <laughs> uh, Disney University was founded by a man hired by Walt Disney. And this man's name is Van France. And so I want to be very, very clear that the lessons I talk about and I preach about to this day are really, uh, they started with Walt Disney himself and they extended through this man, Van France, and many, many, many leaders at Disney. And really the answer to your question is creating an organizational culture and set of values that supports constant development. In your opening piece, you talked about the maintenance crews at Disney theme parks, and I think that's vitally important. And equally important is the maintenance and caretaking of the human resources in any organization. And one or the other usually falls by the wayside, especially when budgets get slim and people start looking for areas to cut. So it's really about organizational culture and values. What... Um well, of course, the experiences as you talk about today are also, while they're um, partly Van France and partly uh, Disney, they're also tempered and honed by the fact that you work with large corporations all across the world all the time. And so, you know, your message is... is um, right up to date for now, and it's also preparing people for what they need to do in the future. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm constantly testing and, and challenging myself and Disney philosophies against these more modern organizations or organizations that might have been around for 100, 200, 300 years that are facing modern challenges. And quite frank, frankly, Bob, I think that the things that I learned at Disney despite the fact that they are decades old, are actually quite timeless and would be a benefit any organization to adopt some of these things. And it doesn't mean that you have to have a theme park or a, a show business environment. I apply these same concepts to hospitals, to major banks, major corporations around the world with equal success. I think, you know, what we, what we tend to forget is that people still hurt, bleed and cry today about the same stuff they did 40 years ago, 400 years ago. So once you get the form, and all business is about communicating with people. It doesn't matter what you do or how you do it or where you do it, it's about communicating with people. So if you're giving people what they want and it giving, to, giving it to them in an environment in which they feel good, you're much more likely to get a sale and that's what keeps doors open. Yeah, and you mentioned in your lead-in about the, the benefits of having stellar customer service and what that means to the bottom line. And what I see as a mistake that a lot of organizations make is that they, in the guise of going after improved customer service, start to really um, hammer their internal employees. So, for example, if I want to uh, improve wait times at a call center for my customers calling in, oftentimes I see organizational leaders going in and hammering the supervisors and the frontline employees in the call center and treating them with disrespect and ultimately that goes over the phone lines and so one of the things that that I learned at Disney and I see in the greatest organizations is how you treat your staff and how you treat your employees is the customer service that will go over the internet or go over face-to-face -face interactions. Well, people forget that um, every person in your company is an ambassador for your company every time they go and talk to anybody or talk about their jobs or talk about anything. And uh, a lot of companies forget that they have internal com uh, customers that are just as important, if not more important, really, than their external customers. Um, Van, 
what was the relationship between Van and Walt Disney? I mean, how did... Well, Van was actually a trainer slash OD consultant in factory environments for most of his career, and in his mid-40s was hired by Walt when Walt was just getting ready to open up Disneyland in Anaheim. So this was in early 1955. Disneyland opened in July of 55, and basically Walt said to Van, hey, look, we spent millions of dollars, in fact, it was most of Walt's own money, millions of dollars creating this wonderful a set of buildings and rides and restaurants. So we've got the facade all set up, but now we need to populate it with people who will make it into what Walt's dream of creating the happiest place on earth would be, and we can't do it with machinery alone. We have to do it with people. And he had seen what what Van had done in factory environments, and Walt knew, frankly, that a Disneyland is, quite frankly, a factory into which you're inviting guests. And oftentimes those guests are not really paying attention to what's going on. So Van took the, the bull by the horns and created a onboarding new hire orientation program that ultimately evolved into what we know today as the Disney University. The Disneyland is such an extraordinary place. I think, you know, you, you talk to companies and they say, you know, it's difficult to... Um, run a, a profitable business and be able to give the great customer service that you need to and to be able to train staff and all those things because they cost so much money and we're in a cutthroat industry. And yet why I like going to Disneyland is that it's the perfect creative environment where they have a great business that makes a shed load of money every day and has been doing so for 70, 60-something years. And, uh, you know, you can combine those two things and do it well. It also proves that money isn't the major determinant of what people buy or what they do. You know, there's a great quote from, from Van, who was, again, a mentor to me and to many, and he really, uh, I think, did a very good job of channeling Walt Disney's energy and creativity. And Dan would always shout at us. You know, he was in his 60s, and we were in our late 20s. You know, most of us were mentally a lot older than he was. And he kept saying to us, money is always going to be tight, but creativity is always free. Yeah. He never let anything get in the way of always improving or uh trying to second guess what was going to work with our own employees who we considered to be our most important guests because they're the ones that were attending our training program. Sure, sure. Um, Walt Disney and Roy Disney, they had an extremely successful relationship and, you know, Walt is in the history books forever. I mean, he's a, he's a legend and uh, one of the great entrepreneurs of all time. In fact, I did a, the Tom te- top 10 entrepreneurs in my view of all time couple of weeks ago on the show and and Walt was right up there Um, but Roy kind of falls through the cracks it appears to me that recognition of innovations much more important than sound business strategies and management Um, what are your thoughts on that How, how, how was how did that relationship really work well two two points one is the the relationship between Walt and Roy, and then this concept of why was Walt uh, recognized. First of all, I think that it's vitally important to have the entrepreneurial 
dreamer, the Walt Disney kind of a person on a team, and it's equally important to have that operations guru on the team who can make sure things get done because we've all seen those wonderful startups with lots of creative people, but then as soon as they get into the operations mode, things fall apart. And likewise, we've seen organizations that are dominated by operations-oriented people that can't get their nose off the grindstone and the market passes them by. So I think both are equally important. And then to the point about Walt Disney, he just happened to be the the lead singer in the band. And you've you've had a show business background, and you know that it's equally important to have a stellar backup crew, whether they're the roadies, whether they're the drummers or the bassists, or whomever, and Roy was amazingly creative in his ability to work the finance and to make deals happen with the bankers who were traditionally and to this day are very wary with the money that they loan. So together, they were both amazingly creative. It just so happens that Walt was out front. He was the one on the Sunday night TV show, and he got most of the press. Yeah, I think if you look at at Apple, since um, Steve Jobs passed away, it's become much less visionary and much less innovative. And, you know, their big innovation this year is coloured phones. I mean, hello. <laughs> Seriously. Although they've sold about 14 million of the bloody things. So <laughs> right, right. What do I right. know? Um, at the medal event, you told, incidentally, there's 15 words in the name of your book. That has got to be some sort of a record. <laughs> and I'll just I'll just mention it again because it really is a great book and I really want people to go out and buy it. It's called Disney U. How Disney University develops the world's most engaged, loyal and customer centric employees. It is a must read. You've got to get a hold of it. Anyway, going back to at the medal event, you told some great stories that are both funny and they're also terrific lessons for every business, irrespective of what sort of thing they do. Can you just run through a couple of those stories? Because I love them. Well, sure. And, and one of the things to, to set this up is that one of the things I learned at Disney, and this all came directly from Walt through uh, Van and a number of people, is that um, we got to have fun and work hard at the same time. And Walt would say, when the subject permits, uh, we let fly with all the satire and gags of our command, and he was a proponent that laughter is no enemy to learning, and so I wanted to have some fun with the metal group, and so one of the things that, that we learned in our first international theme park in Japan, this was <clears throat> 30 years ago this year in uh, in Tokyo, we were getting ready to open Tokyo Disneyland and had a series of soft openings where you would invite the press in and oh, various family members, so you might have 10,000 people in the park compared to 100,000 on a real day. So we had four or five days to, to get dialed in to grand opening, and the night before one of our first huge soft openings, the uh, one of the American executives was out giving a, a motivational speech to our graveyard custodial crew, and he was saying, we at Disney are known for our cleanliness So go out tonight and clean this park. Make it shine because tomorrow the eyes of the world will be upon us. And all this was duly translated into Japanese. And the Japanese went out and started cleaning with abandon. And I got a call at 3 in the morning from that executive who was frightened, upset, livid, a combination of emotions. And he said, what's wrong with those idiots you hired in custodial? And I said, nothing. We hired the best custodians from hospitals and factories around Japan. 
And he said, well, was the interpreting bad? I said, no, I speak the language. What you said was perfectly interpreted. And he said, well, then answer this final question. Why did the custodians claim the haunted mansion? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, they've replaced all the broken windows. They vacuumed up all the meticulously placed dust, and all the rust stains on the walls have been painted over. The place doesn't look haunted anymore. It looks like a hospital operating room is so clean. <laughs> what had happened is we had not trained the Japanese custodians in the haunted mansion because the artists were so busy making it look spooky, we couldn't allow anybody in there. And so we had not train them in the appropriate environment so it was a huge lesson for us that what's <laughs> obvious to one person make it clean is completely a foreign language or foreign concept to a different culture yeah. and that was I mean that's just the tip of the iceberg there I are many examples story. but it was just one of those things where you got to scratch your head and say oh my gosh there's always something to learn yeah there is that's for sure um, there was another story you told um, oh the a great story about um creative thinking or thinking outside the box with the, right, um, right. you know, you know the story I'm talking about. The train story. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, so, so again, we all think of Disney as this amazingly creative environment and it really is. But again, any of us can fall prey to the, to the challenge of being too close to our work and not seeing the obvious solution. So long story short, about three years before the park ever opened, we were told by the Japanese government, they had laws that said you could not have a train, a choo-choo train, chugga-chugga-choo-choo train running through a theme park that transported people. And if we wanted to have that, then we were going to be subject to a number of government regulations and taxes and just, it never would have opened on time as soon as you get the government involved, you know that. Yeah. Yeah. And we were so upset, it was like, well, how can you tell us we can't have five or six or seven stations like we have in California or Orlando? And we were more focused on how stupid the law was and what what a bunch of idiots these people were as opposed to coming up with a creative solution. And here's the point. When you have a multinational or multicultural team, different ages, different ethnicities, different languages, and you fully engage them, you're going to have a massively stronger team. And when we started doing that with our Japanese engineering staff, the solution became self-evident. A, a Japanese guy came up with the solution. He said, look, you guys are so close to this thing in Orlando and California. What is it that you really want in a train? And we said, well, we want the entertainment factor. He said, exactly. You don't really care if it transports guests when it comes right down to it. The sights and the sounds and the smells of that steam locomotive are, are, are preeminent. And we said, yes. He said, then great. I've got a solution. Let's have a train system at Tokyo Disneyland where the guests get on at Station A. They do a loop around the park. And they get off at Station A. Technically, they haven't gone anywhere. Technically, they've not been transported. And that solution flew with the Japanese government. And what's interesting about it, Bob, is that it's no different than any other attraction in a Disney theme park. It's no different than Space Mountain, no different than Small World. Guests do a loop and they get off at the same place. But it was different for the steam locomotive, and we hadn't seen that solution. Yeah, I, lo I love that story. It just It does show that... You know, you do get too close to things. One of the things I did want to want to touch on was Walt's attention to detail. And you know, I I really admire people at Disneyland who have been on in a particular ride or whatever for so long, and yet they still hi at the end of the day after greeting fifty million people and week in week out, 
they still have the same exuberance and enthusiasm and act just as surprised um, as they did on day one and probably more so. Walt was apparently um, a, a real attention to detail person and the story is that um, he used to go to the park once a week or whatever and ride, for example, in the jungle boat cruise, um, ride in every, every boat and um, just watch the performance of the, um, of the drivers. Is that, is that a true story? Yes, in fact, one of my one of my uh, bosses at Disney University was an 18-year-old skipper on one of those Jungle Cruise boats, and he recounted to me when I interviewed him for Disney U uh, for the book. He said, "Yeah, I've got a very vivid memory of Walt riding on all the boats, and then getting off of the the last boat at Jungle Cruise and gathering all of us skippers." And he was livid. He said. We spent millions of dollars on this attraction, and all of the guests are excited to be here. Yet every time I rode that boat, and you guys were driving this boat through the deep, dark jungles, and the sounds were, were perfect, the soundtrack was perfect, and the audio animatronic animals are jumping out of the bushes when they should. For example, when the hippos jumped out of the water, and they're spraying the guests, the guests are screaming with delight. They're thrilled. And I looked at each one of you skippers, and you were yawning and acting like, oh, my gosh, I've seen that hippo a thousand times today. He said, and this is a, a phrase that we use at Disney all the time, we have to keep plussing the show, in other words, improving yeah. it. And he said, you have to balance out the millions of dollars that we've invested in the hardware with using current vernacular with software. You guys have to practice looking surprised. And my boss said, you know, since we knew Walt was going to be back next week, we spent the next week looking surprised. And that's really the point is, as we talked at the, at the beginning of the show, is are you maintaining both the facilities and the people? And if your leadership team is not constantly doing what Walt did, meaning walking the park, either literally or figuratively, if you're not getting in touch with the front lines, there is no way you'll know really what's going on out there. And so one of the things I challenge my consulting clients to this day is when I see executive teams that have every excuse under the sun yeah. for not getting out and walking the park and visiting their, their clients, I get right in their grill and say, why not? If Walt could do it, why can't you? Yeah. Now, I'm sitting out there. We're, we're running a bit short of time, but I'm sitting out there and I'm listening to this show and like I'm sure I'm like you. I have bookshelves that I've got every book ever written, I reckon, on business of every conceivable subject. Why should I buy Disney U? What am, Disney U, what am I going to get out of it that I won't get out of, I'm looking at my bookshelf now, out of all these hundreds of books that I've got already? Well, Disney U is not a how-to book. It's not a training manual. It's a book about how to assess your own organizational culture and philosophy and the, the philosophies and the values that have helped Disney as a corporation since 1928. So Disney is approaching, well, Mickey Mouse is 1928. Disney started in 23. So close to 90 years now, we have values in place that I think will transcend any challenge that is facing organizations to this day. And by reading Disney U, the readers will get a real good opportunity to assess their organizational culture and come up with ideas that will be sustainable, not just flash-in-the-pan, short-lived successes. Doug Lip, a great speaker, a terrific trainer, and Disney U, 
is a fantastic book. And I look forward to having a beer with him in Bahrain in a couple of weeks where we're actually <laughs> going head-to-head in competing seminars. But nevertheless, he's a, he's, he is terrific. And if you want to learn more about Doug or hire him for an event, of course, don't hire him over me, but if you want to hire him for an event after you've hired me, go to douglip.com. So pick up Disney U, go to douglip.com. This is Bob Pritchard. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on voiceamericabusiness.com. And I will be back with you in just a moment. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show. Coming to you this week from Boca Raton in Florida. It's been a busy month. I was um, I broadcast, as you know, from Brazil last week in Sao Paulo. And uh, Boca Raton tonight, sitting here looking out across the Atlantic. It is absolutely beautiful, lovely beach. It's gorgeous. And uh, I'm at the um, Boca Raton Beach Club, which is a spectacular Waldorf Astoria property. And I'm here for the CQS launch of the Kisaguru e-insurance company. And I'm excited to be here. And shortly we'll have a performance by Freddie Ravel. So this is the segment of the show where we, um, oh, I was listening, when I was doing that interview, I used the term thinking outside the box. And I don't know why I did that, because it's a really dumb saying, because there ain't no box. So we always should be thinking without thinking that there's a box. Because once you think there's a box, you're probably going to find it very hard to think outside it. Well, this is the segment of the show where we bring you emails from our listeners from across the world. Um, And uh, I've said a million times that despite all the different cultures and the different way people do business and and, um, the different restrictions that governments put on in different countries, all these emails are pretty relevant to everybody everywhere. I've, um, you know, I give a lot of speeches and um, up to 1,700 or so and uh, whether I'm speaking in Moscow or in Sydney or in New York or down here in Boca Raton, when it comes to question time, everybody asks the same question. They might ask it in Japanese. They might ask it in Italian or Iranian or whatever but they all ask the same question. So companies face the same issues everywhere, no matter who they are or what size they are, really. My first email today is from James Hickory from 
Fort Wayne, Indiana. I've spoken there. And James writes, Dear Bob, thanks for your show. I began to listen regularly after I bought your book. Good on you, James. Thank you. It really is simple, easy to understand information that is also very practical. Well, that's what it was intended to be. I read a lot of other business books and autobiographies, but I often have trouble relating to their stories and relating that to my own business. Bob, my question is, what is the one thing that I can do to really build my retail business? I have a business plan and I advertise, but I don't seem to get a good return on the money that I spend. Can you give me one tip that can really turn my business around? James, thanks for your question. I must admit, um, when you read books like, say, Welsh's book, I mean, Jack is brilliant, there's no question about that, but there's a difference between running a big company and sitting in the CEO slot than there is, you know, running your own business and being at the coalface. But I receive a lot of emails asking exactly this question, and the reality is that there's really not one thing that you can do that will turn your business around. You really need to get quite a number of things right in order for um, your marketing and sales to work. Of these, there's probably five elements that are most important, and uh, the first of these is getting your brand right. Um, a couple of simple things can make all the difference. You know, for example, does your name tell potential customers exactly what it is that you do? Have you got a logo that differentiates yourself from your competitors? Do you have a, a consumer purchasing benefit? Now, I've changed that now. I'm referring to a personal purchasing benefit because now we have to be much more personal in our sales. And does that personal purchasing benefit um, express really clearly why you're different from the competitors? And then once you've got those things right, do you use them in every single thing that you do? Put them on your car, put them on your letterhead, put them on your invoices, put them on your advertising, put them on business cards, put them on every single thing that you do. And you'll find that it will make an enormous difference. And if you've got a great CPB or now a PPB, you'll find that over a period of six months or so, people will recall it gets it really does give you first recall brand awareness and it's very important. James, as you've got a retail business, another important element is your physical location. And is your brand reflected in every aspect of the store? Is your store properly merchandised? You know, when you go in there, does it feel good? Does it smell good? Does it sound good? Does it make your customers feel really welcome? Now, if you have all that right as well, then you need to effectively use promotions to drive customers through your doors. And you need to do, use promotions to draw attention to your location and increase your visibility. However, what's most important is when they walk in the door, they go, wow, you know, are your best-selling items at the back of the store or halfway down the store so that when they go through the store, they um, come across a whole bunch of impulse things that they absolutely can't resist. 
do you pair things up so that you sell something that goes with something um, and link them together so when you buy the first thing, you have to buy the second one. Now, you say that you advertise. Do you have the right mix of advertising? So let's consider traditional advertising first. You know, should you use it at all? Effectively, traditional advertising does not work. So you need to really use social media, and I talked about social media earlier. You need to come up, develop a social media plan. You need to get out there and really utilise social media, but not just Facebook and not just Twitter, but a full range of social media. You can do amazing things with with things like um, Instagram, Pinterest. I mean, you can get some wow stuff happening and great promotions. So you need to do all that. Um, So that online presence is critical. Finally, you've got to build a very strong reputation and be seen as a good corporate citizen. You know, through social gatherings and blogs and sponsorships. Sponsorship, sponsor something at the local school, like a, a local game that doesn't cost very much, hopefully that's got a lot of supporters or a lot of parents involved. So, you know, work as much as possible with your local community groups, um, um, schools and Lions Clubs and Rotary and your local Chamber of Commerce. You know, it not only builds awareness, but it builds respect in the community, and that's really important. It'll drive people to your store. Now, James, I'm out of time. I'd love to go on and tell you more, but uh, maybe I'll, I'll touch on that again next week. Where I'll, I'll be back in Los Angeles next week, but um, I hope that answers your question. As we do for everybody whose email we read on the air, we will send you a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is my latest bestseller. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. We've been bringing it to you since 2011. It's a hell of a long time and it's a heap of fun. And I'll be with you at the same time next week, no matter where you are in the world, to address the critical issues that affect small business everywhere. So thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. Coming to you from Boca Raton. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this, this is the place to come every week at exactly the same time. I'm Bob Pritchard, and next week, back in L.A., and I hope that you join me. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.